Welcome to Two Cents FC. I'm your host, Amovia Kugo. Each week, we'll be talking with individuals from around the soccer world, learning about their stories and getting their unfiltered thoughts and opinions. This week, we're joined by former MLS pro, Cal Bears Hall of Famer, and media personality, all-time legend, Kalen Carr. We're going to be getting to know all about Kalen, talking about his career, and learning more about his off-pitch endeavors. Kalen, how are you feeling today? I'm good. Thanks for the uh, kind intro there. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> no, most definitely. Like you're, Cali, you're a Cali boy, so I had to do it. <laughs> yeah, Northern, Northern California at that, that too. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. Man, we, we got a lot of SoCal boys. So yeah, nice even to though have you went to Cal Berkeley, <laughs> even though you went to Cal Berkeley, I got I got to take NorCal as precedent. Yeah, yeah. We won't talk about some of your choices. We'll we'll leave that to another <laughs> another show. <laughs> Most definitely. So let's start it off the only way we know how. Uh, L. All right. Two truths in a cap. So if you're familiar with the show, this is an icebreaker game that we like to play with our guests. Um, where Kalen will give us three facts about himself. Two will be true. One will be a lie. And Amobi and I have to guess what the lie is. So did I score last week, Amobi? No, you did not score last week. I didn't score last week. So, so we still 3-1? <laughs> yeah, we're still 3-1. Still 3-1. All right. So whenever you're ready, Kalen, kick it off. Well, I, I was listening. I was, I'm visiting my mom here in Berkeley, and I was driving earlier today um, just around, and uh, I was listening to one with Jimmy Conrad um, yeah. on Two Cents, and I was like, did Jimmy really meet Rihanna? And they like she asked him for a photo, and I was like, no way. Like, that's that's, <laughs> yeah. that's Cap, right? And she, oh. uh, So this is like a lot to live up to at this point. So I felt some <laughs> pressure coming on, because if you just come with some weak stuff after Jimmy's <laughs> kicking it in Brazil with Rihanna, I was like, oh, wow, I'm in trouble. Um, but I'll, 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 I focused on music. I was inspired okay. by that. Uh, okay. So, number one, um, I introduced Flo Rida at a concert. So I played I played Flo Rida's hype man. Number two, um, I did an impromptu dueling pianos with John Legend. What? The? So impromptu head to head. And then number three was I kicked it backstage um, with Carlos Santana. Man, this guy is, this I mean, This might be the best one. These, <laughs> these continually get better. Um, how about the name drops, though? Wow. I mean, uh, there's no Rihanna in that list. I mean, she's still, <laughs> she takes she takes the cake, but. Uh, oh, that's see. Just, Dueling pianos, I mean, impromptu. You're living in New York. I know your your mom is a teacher, and I know she like stressed you learning extracurriculars, but I don't know if it was piano. Um, this is gonna be tough. <laughs> you, you do hosting, so Florida. I think Florida has done some soccer event. Yo, this is. <sighs> I'm going backstage, Carlos Santana. I think it was like another artist. I don't doubt that you were backstage with artists, but I don't think it was Carlos Santana. So that's my cap, but L. I'm gonna say, uh, I'm gonna say dueling pianos with John Legend, Mr. Cap. All right, can I give it up? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you got it, L. It's the uh, it's the John Legend one. <laughs> Sorry, coming Moby. back to three one. Amobi, yeah. I do appreciate you think that I have game <laughs> like that that I could like yeah. uh, duel with John Legend and. I was trying to throw you off because I know Stu Holden hangs with uh, John Legend. I see him on Instagram all the time. So I was like, there's a possibility. Um, yeah. But I do not play the piano. I cannot play the piano at all. <laughs> um, okay. 
You the do flow right away. Right? Uh, no, I act- I took piano for one year as a oh. kid, and then I quit uh, to play okay. soccer. Um, and then um, the Flow Rider one was actually at MLS All Star in San Jose in 2017, I think. Okay. Um, but very bizarre, just because like <laughs> I was not <laughs> expecting to. You know, I'm like covering soccer, and all of a sudden they're like, "Hey, so we have this concert, and we need someone to raise their hand to in- intro him on stage." And I was like, "All right, this is a once in a lifetime." I was yeah. like, I'm going to go on a podcast one day and talk about this. Um, <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Uh, and then um, the Santana one is true, actually, when I was in Chicago. Um, a, oh, a friend of mine was dating his daughter. So we got to go backstage and hang out. And I was like, damn, this is a legendary yeah. experience. So, um, yeah. That's amazing. Um so you mentioned you did do piano for a week and then you decided to make the right decision and go a year it was a year i stuck it out for a year i stuck it out for a a year year. you decided to make the right decision and go into soccer when did you fall in love with soccer Uh, i think there was there was actually well there was kind of like two two moments like the first time that i think it really clicked for me was when i was i think maybe five or six years old and my mom put me in like kind of everything as as you mentioned uh did your research well um yeah but yeah we uh she had me do everything so i i like did um yeah i was involved in music i was involved in all kinds of sports basketball track um soccer she uh, went to like a, a ballet class actually as a kid <laughs> um, awesome. so i i was like trying everything and um and then um, I went to a soccer camp and I just went one week and I remember just enjoying it. And I think on the last day I got some sort of like, I can't even remember. I think it was some kind of like dribbling award. And I was like <laughs> hooked from then on. I was like, I need to go back next week. And yeah. my mom was like, all right, yeah, like you can go back next week. And then I was like, I need to go back again. And <laughs> every week I won the uh, like dribbling award. And I think I was there like nine weeks and the summer was over and like, that was kind of it for me. Um, I was just kind of hooked. So there was nobody in my family that really had a soccer background or anything like that. My mom's an academic. Um, my dad was um, in more of like engineering and he was a um, like worked for the United Nations. So I, I didn't really have like a soccer background or a sports background, but I just kind of fell in love yeah. with it then. Um, and then the second moment was the 94 World Cup. Um, and I went to the US-Brazil game in... Uh, at Stanford Stadium, and I just remember being wow. like, "Whoa! Like, what is this? Like, the Brazil fans, um, like the yeah. yellow jerseys. Like, I don't really remember a ton that happened on the pitch, but I remember the whole like surrounding atmosphere, and I was like, uh, mm-hmm. like, I'm all in." Yeah, we're definitely gonna get into that in a little bit. But for you, you know, one of the things I like about you is that you get along with everybody. You're well versed, and you know, we definitely did our research. Your mom, you know, immersed you in different things. Your dad comes from, you know, uh, original background in from Australia. Talk about how much that influenced your upbringing. Yeah, I think, um, I think like as I've grown o- older, I've like, I've really appreciated kind of more of that backstory and maybe gotten some more perspective as I've traveled to realize kind of how unique it was in a way. Because I think when you grow up, you're just like, 
I don't know, I'm just like playing soccer and <laughs> hanging out. Um, and you kind of think everything is normal. But um, yeah, my dad is from Alice Springs, Australia, which is like the center of the heart of Australia. Um, and um, he's Aboriginal Australian, so indigenous. And, um, you know, they have a huge family there, real deep history. Um, my mom comes from like a very different world. <laughs> um, she's from Indianapolis, Indiana, blonde hair, blue eyes. Um, and she took a little bit of a different path, as did my dad, to kind of like leave where that the area that they were from. So my mom went to college in Chicago and then was doing anthropological research in East Africa. And my dad left Alice Springs and ended up moving to East Africa as well to do the water engineering. And uh, so they met there and it was a very like, you know, two different worlds in a lot of ways. But um, I sort of joke that like if you were to have that sort of backstory, like Berkeley would be the perfect place to land. Like where where else could you go? <laughs> My mom was already there at the time, um, but she wanted to come back and, and raise me when um, she knew she was going to be having me. So um, so I, I grew up with just my mom actually here in Berkeley. She's a professor at Berkeley, so I kind of like grew up on campus. Ended up playing soccer at Berkeley and and uh, doing my uh, my studies there. So uh, yeah, it's kind of a unique backstory. I'm actually back in Berkeley now. I'm in my mom's <laughs> office uh, doing this podcast recording. So I, I like I try and come back here as much as I can. And I I think it definitely like growing up here. It's just a unique place, and yeah. I think it's definitely um, like influenced um, the way I see the world. That's amazing. How how connected are you to, you know, the culture of your father? You know, you mentioned, you know, at the epicenter of Australian, you know, origin and history. Yeah, I was always, um, so I, I grew up with just my mom. So I would say I learned about my culture and history more um, from afar, um, just okay. based on like geography. But my mom always did a really good job and felt it was really important for me to understand that history um, as best as I could. And so whether that was like learning about it or um, like having like Aboriginal art around or like understanding um, as best I could that culture in the absence of like a close relationship with my dad, um, I was always really proud of that. And I think like even when I think about like some of the like school projects that I was involved in growing up or like things when you get to do independent studies, I was like, I, I went like deeper into that to understand that. Yeah. Um, and I think it was partly because like, it's so unique <laughs> that yeah. in a way, like I felt like I really needed to kind of like, as a part of like understanding myself, I needed to understand that part of my history. Um, so I went back to Australia. I've only been there. I've only been there once. I went back um, in 2007 and I met like all my family. Um, for the first time and I have like five half siblings it's like a big family too Um, so it was like a really powerful experience for me to like actually be there it's not even like close to really fully understanding the culture in like a literal way so I I do want to go back and spend more time there and um, I also got my Australian citizenship when I was in college Um, oh I would say it was like just for like out of pride but honestly at that time I thought it was going to get me like uh, a European passport in the UK to like try and play abroad. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, uh, I hit up my my family there and was like, hey, how do I go about this process? And um, it was it wasn't too difficult because you know if you're Indigenous yeah. people, like you sh- I feel like you should get a passport. So <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, made it happen. It didn't end up working out for playing abroad, but um, 
I think it'll make it easier for myself uh, to get to experience it and go back uh, whenever the time's right. No, most definitely. And sure. you grew up in Berkeley. There's a lot of different influences, you know, Berkeley, Hayward, Oakland, that whole region. Um, a lot of a lot of stuff happening. Can you talk about some of the influences you had, like not only on the field, but off the field growing up in such a, a smart community, if that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, Berkeley is a weird place. Like, yeah, yeah uh, it's fine. I live in Brooklyn it in a now. Nice way. <laughs> yeah, no, it's cool. I think we. It's like, uh, I don't know. I feel like it's like a point of pride here, um, yeah. and it's just like, you know, I grew up seeing just like some wild stuff, right? Like it was yeah. just like naked people walking around. Sometimes there's like <laughs> always a protest on campus. Um, it was really cool because based on my mom's work. Like she would often have students come by and she would do like presentations at, at our house or they would have kind of like graduate students over and um, I would learn about kind of like what their studies were. We'd, she'd show like slide projectors because I'm old and uh, that's what we were doing at the time. And like, so it was that was like a really cool place. And I, I also just think like, um, just like things that I wouldn't think about or I thought of were normal, as I was mentioning before, like. I saw Nelson Mandela speak at um, the Oakland Coliseum when I was like seven or eight years old. I was on my uncle's uh, like shoulders watching him when he got out of prison. And I was like, you know, just like stuff like that, where you're just like, it just kind of, I almost forgot about that until just now. And you're, you just um, are more around that type of environment, which I think was really cool from the soccer side. It was like way less organized, I would say, than like where you grew up, like in SAC, there's like big clubs and, you know, really like much more, I would say like, there's like super clubs there. And, you know, you hear the same thing in, in Los Angeles and Southern California, where I feel like in the Bay, I was like, I was like Nicholas and Elka. I was like switching squads every, you know, every couple of weeks. Like it was like, I was playing here. I was in yeah. Berkeley. Then I was in Oakland. Then I went to Marin. Then I went back to the East Bay even deeper um, so it was like, I was constantly looking for the best places to play. I was playing pickup. I was playing with like men's teams. I was really just trying to get in the best environment. And so, um, I think in some ways that's not the best thing. Like I've seen that improve a lot since, um, since I've been back, but I would no. say in a way there was something good about that, I think, cause I was constantly being put in new environments. So can you talk, can you like use this moment to stake your claim? Cause I feel like I'm on like by myself screaming out loud when I say NorCal has talent. You're coming from the Bay, you know, Cal Berkeley region. Uh, we've had a lot of people from the DMV. We've had a couple of people from SoCal. Um, but this is your moment uh, to stake your claim and help me, you know, emphasize how how big NorCal soccer really is. I mean, we'll never we'll never be able to, like, the, the SoCal guys are too loud, you know? They're all, like, every. <laughs> They're all, you know, everybody, I was going to, I was going to say something about UCLA, but I, I'll, I'll wait, you know, <laughs> hold on, hold on. <laughs> I'll show respect, but, uh, no, I, I think there's a different, um, it's funny because when, whenever we play in LA, a lot of friends or teammates that were from, um, like other countries or further away would think like, oh, are you going to have all your family here? And I'm like, no, yeah. it's like six, seven hours from here, especially to the galaxy. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's like a, it, that separation is real. Like it's a very yeah. different um, atmosphere in a different place. So I think like, you know, as far as talent goes, like I could, I played 
club soccer with Wando. So like, if you just want to go by like goals and you want to start there, like I chipped in a few, but like Wando has run away with the whole thing. Um, and uh, yeah, just like so many players. And I, and I think something about like, you see it more, I think easily recognized in other sports where you see players who've come from the Bay that are like, or Northern California, where there's like, whether it's like, like Jason Kidd or wow. um, Marshawn or like, you know, all these guys, Leon Poe, I'm thinking, I'm thinking a lot of Berkeley guys right now. They're all Berkeley guys. Um, uh-huh. But just like uh, a lot of people that have come from the Bay, I think have like a, a little bit of a different attitude to their game. And I think uh, some of that, some of the, I think some of that spirit carries over into soccer as well, because you kind of have to like scrap your way a little bit. No, facts. I love that. Uh, I know we're going to get into, you know, you naming your, 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 your five aside, but talk about, you know, obviously you're born and bred Cal Berkeley. Um, talk about your experience playing at Cal. I know they made a recent announcement with coach Grimes leaving, uh, but shout out to coach Griffin. I'm going to have to get him on the two cents family podcast at some point. Yes. Um, talk about your time at Cal and then obviously get inducted to the hall of fame. Yeah. I mean, I think because I grew up on campus, like I learned how to ride a bike on campus. Like if I was sick from school, like single mom, like I was going to her school <laughs> and her students would be yeah. kind of looking after me. So um, that was, was there like, another option for you? Like, was no, it always like Cal or Cal. Oh, to go. Well, I was trying to go yeah. out. I wanted to leave because I was like, I grew up here. I need to like get uh-huh. out of here. I need to go somewhere else. But like, I didn't even think about writing to UCLA because I was like, there's no chance. Um, and like, <laughs> yeah. uh, like I wrote, but I wrote letters all over the place and nobody wrote back. Uh-huh. I sent like videos and then I just started like showing up at coaches doorsteps. Like I went to uh, University of Washington and I was on a family vacation in Seattle and I was like, just like take me to the school <laughs> and I just like <laughs> uh, knocked on the on the door and the coach like sat down with me is um dean wersberger at the time great guy um but was definitely not really feeling it (laughs) i don't don't know if it was my approach but um he uh i think he was like interested but it just didn't work out and then um yeah yeah i think like it just worked out for me where i went to the cal camp and kevin grimes the coach there was um brand new he had just had his first season so he hadn't really had time to have like a recruiting class so he actually brought a bunch of the recruits into the camp, which is like not always like your the camps aren't always for like top recruits, right? But yeah. I was lucky because a lot of them were there and I was able to play and show well like against them. And then he was like, Oh, like who's this kid from down the street? Um, so he asked me to like come on a official visit and I like walk he's like, You want me to pick you up? And I was like, No, I'll just walk, like it's just down. <laughs> like three blocks away. Um, but I like stayed at the dorms. I enjoyed it. Um, and I was a part of that first recruiting class where he brought in 12, um, 12 freshmen. And there was a bunch of guys that were like, ended up becoming really good players like Mike Munoz, Troy Roberts, um, uh, myself, Noah Merle. There were the next year it was like Tyson wall. Um, eventually yeah. it was like Steph Fry, but then he started bringing in like Servando Carrasco and Hector Jimenez and, um, oh. Birnbaum and Suarez and like all these guys that ended up Luke Sassano guys that have had like AJ Jacobson, like a bunch of really good players. Yeah. Um, 
I know I'm going to leave somebody off, but I just, <laughs> I tried to go through a bunch as I could, but um, yeah, I mean, it was like, uh, he really sort of changed the program. And so for me, I think like having grown up here and like, you know, the school means so much more to me than just the program, but um, being a part of like really pushing the program forward from the beginning and then seeing where it's kind of gone is amazing. The cool part that's kind of also happened is, as you mentioned, Leonard Griffin, he was my teammate in Chicago and we were roommates there for wow. two years. Yeah. So it was like the way it is, it was like constant UCLA, Berkeley, like back and forth <laughs> like every day. Like, and, and the worst part was they had won the national championship um, while he was there and they'd beat us. Like, you uh-huh. know, we didn't get, we, I think we got the sweet 16. So I, I had like, you know, it's the worst roommate ever situation for MLS. Right. <laughs> Especially early where that's like, all you talk about is college. Yeah. Um, so it was like, um, but now I'm like, I got the last laugh cause he like came and joined Berkeley and now is the head coach. And I'm like, I mean, he's got the last laugh too. Cause it's great. It's, it's an yeah. incredible opportunity. And like, um, I know he's going to do a fantastic job and I'm also, it's really cool also. Cause I think he's the first black head coach in men's soccer in PAC 12 history. So yeah. like a little bit of piece of history as well too. So, um, yeah, I'm, it's kind of cool to see like all those things coming together. No, like you said, it's, it's great. And not only because I remember when, you know, you were on the scene at Cal, I was obviously younger and I mean, I wasn't going to go to Cal, but it was just cool to see like you and some of the others that really made a name for themselves. And, uh, and it, it, and it makes sense because you mentioned that you were getting your Australian passport um, because you had the opportunity to go on trial with Arsenal and full disclosure, L is like a big Arsenal guy. Can you talk about that experience, you know, going on trial um, during college when back then it wasn't really like, this wasn't really happening, you know, no. people weren't going to European trials. So how did, how did that come about for you and talk about that experience? Yeah, it was kind of surreal. Um, I had had some interest from MLS, like um, Dom Kinnear reached out to me when he was at San Jose um, and was like talking to me about potentially um, leaving school early and it didn't work out for a number of reasons. And like, part of it was my mom and I decided and coach felt like it was good to like finish school and stay, stay at uh, college. And, but a part of that also was that I wanted to try to go to Europe. Um, mm-hmm. And so I spoke to Kevin Grimes at the time about like, you know, is, is this possible? Like, is this something we could try and explore? And he was like, yeah, maybe in the summer before your senior year, we can take a look at that. Um, and so he called me one day. I remember I was sitting on my, my mom's like front steps and he called me and he was like, okay, we've got, um, like a trial for you set up in, um, in Europe. And I was like, oh man, it's amazing. And he's like, (laughs) it's at Arsenal. And I was like, I was like trying to think like, all right, what, is there another Arsenal and another, like, is there one in like, Belgium or like I don't know like yeah. somewhere <laughs> um yeah. and he was like no no like Arsenal in London and I was like oh uh damn <laughs> all right <laughs> so I like immediately went and like started doing like wind sprints <laughs> I was out like trading I was I mean I was fit luckily um yeah. and I was playing actually I think um leading up to that with Orange County Blue Star with like this team that was like Kai Kamara was on it um mm-hmm. Sasha Kleshton Tyson Wall, Dan Kennedy, Jordan Harvey, like we had uh, so many good, Robbie Rogers, we had so many good players playing. So we were all training. Um, but yeah, I, I went over to England 
and like the i just wanted to like see Thierry Henry once like i was yeah. like if i just like see him fit like in the in the flesh <laughs> and the first day i went in i did this fitness test and he was like getting treatment and i just remember being like oh damn like that's him <laughs> so that happened uh <laughs> the <him>. fitness <laughs> test that they did was like you know i had no guarantees i think they said it was like going to be like two or three days maybe um but they were just like be ready for anything and the first day they ran me through like a ton of different fitness tests. Um, it was like, you know, 40 yard, like eight 40 yard dashes where they do like sprint endurance. Um, there was like, you know, the, like a lot of really modern tests, like jumping transfers, like, but this yeah. is way a long time ago where like that was not necessarily standard or something I had been exposed to. Um, but I did really well on the tests. And um, when I finished, they were like, oh, wow, like you uh, passed <laughs> the test and they're like, show up tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and they're like, you placed near the top, like 5% of the club. And so I was like, all right. So I showed up the next day and I was gassed <laughs> and I go into uh, <laughs> training and my 5v2 group, this is preseason for them. My 5v2 group was um, uh, Dennis Bergkamp, Sigan, Loren, uh, Jose uh, Reyes. Um, and I can't remember, there was like, it's, uh, you know, there's a couple other guys, I think maybe Sol Campbell. And so I was like, oh man, here we go. Right. Uh, and right. I remember Reyes megged me three times in the 5v2 and like, they oh. were like loving it. Right. Where I was just like, <laughs> everyone was just having a great time. <laughs> and also I should mention that I was like showing up, I wore like a full Jordan sweatsuit um, to training and I had like a headband at the time too. So I like, you know, it was like this American kid showing up. Uh, so I was like, oh man, all right, that's a rough start. But then that became my seven aside team and we went to goals and um, we won the day and I scored two goals off Dennis Bird campuses. And like, I mean, it was like insane. Cause like you just make a run and with, he you finds know, you, I bet. he's like, it just like hit my foot. And I was like, oh, like, <laughs> so I was like walking off the pitch the first day, trying to like compute everything that was happening. And I was like, all right. Yeah. I got megged like three times. That was like, not good. And then I was like, wait, like I scored two goals off Dennis bird camp assists. Like I'm good. Like I'm, uh. you know, um, and it ended up like, um, turning into, I was there for two weeks and it was just like an incredible experience to be exposed to like, you know, at the time it was, uh, like a historic part of, um, Arsenal's history with the, uh, they were just like, um, I think this was like just, um, after the invincible season and, um, it was Patrick Vieira got sold to Juventus while I was there. Um, so I saw him like wave goodbye to everybody and, and like leave the training ground. And I was like, wow, it's like a part of history. So, um, yeah, it was an incredible experience. Like it didn't end up working out. Obviously I was, I was like 20 or 20, I think I was 20 at the time, but the second week I was spent more time with the reserves, which was like, also incredible players like uh, like Nicholas Bentner was one of the guys that I hung out with a fair amount, um, which was awesome. Um, but um, I could, I could just see what it like how much I developed in just those two weeks. I felt like I had advanced yeah. like six months in my development, um, and um, so I, I like came back, went finished my college season, and then went to MLS. But it was like a an incredible um, moment that like I definitely will never forget. No, that's amazing. And it's just the testament to, you know, how well you, you did at that young age. And then 
the experience. I think what I take away is the the whole iron sharpens iron thing. Like you mentioned, like all the players from Cal Berkeley that you came up with, OC Blues, where half, all those guys that are playing pro, and then obviously at Arsenal um, to see everything kind of come full circle is uh, really amazing. And then I want to make a quick note, even though I don't want to say this, but shout out to Berkeley, you know, being the first uh, school to hire men's black head coach. It should have been UCLA, but let's not talk about that here. Uh, but, but yeah, so shout out to Berkeley doing that. And um, Maybe UCLA can follow so come Cal's back lead, you know? There's still yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. There's yeah. still time. Uh, you, you come back for your senior year, you kill it, and then you end up getting drafted uh, to Chicago. Talk about your time in MLS. Obviously, you made a name in Chicago, but then really blew up in Houston when you guys went to back-to-back finals. Yeah, I think um, when I got to the fire, um, it was a really good time to go to arrive. It was like a place that I think a lot of players wanted to go because it was like you, you knew the history of what the team had done in those Bob Bradley years um, and those early fire days. And there was still a considerable presence from those teams. So, you know, I walked into a locker room that had CJ Brown uh, Zach Thornton, Jim Curtin, Chris Armis, um, you know, uh, even really talented young players like um, Chris Rolfe and um, Nate Jaqua, Chad Barrett, like the, Leonard Griffin was on the team. We had like uh, Justin Mapp, like some really top oh, players. Yeah. So yeah, everybody lights up when you say Sip because his game was yeah. sick. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it was like a really good time to be there and we found success. We won the U S open cup my first year. I think we went to the Eastern conference semifinal. Um, we then went the next year to the Eastern conference final lost to new England. That was on the, um, Taylor Twelman bicycle kick. Um, Uh, and, uh, yeah, that one still burns, but I mean, incredible play. Um, so we had like really good seasons back to back. Then Blanco joined the team. So that was like a whole circus and incredible experience to be a part of. And we had opened up that new stadium in Chicago. So it was like a really good time. Um, personally, like I kind of broke through and found some success my first year or two, but often in like more of a reserve role um, and like mm-hmm. trying to find spaces. I, found, I think I started my first couple playoff games on the road my second year um in chicago but um yeah it was tough because like the the attitude was a little bit different at the time as far as like young players stepping in so i remember like i had like two assists in the semi-final uh or in the in the to like advance past dc and then i like didn't play in the next round in the eastern conference final i came on like the last like five minutes and i was like all right (laughs) um so i it is cool to see how that's changed where like now it's like incentivized to play young players um And then I also had some tough luck with injuries. So um, I loved my time in Chicago, but by the time I left, it was probably, if I'm looking back, it was probably about a year too late. Um, But I was really lucky to get to Houston and um, things kind of really clicked for me there with that team. Mm -hmm. Can you you talk about, I feel like you might have like the Kalen Carr curse because you left Chicago and they kind of struggled. Obviously, shout out to Jamie and, you know, Coach Ezra, they're trying to bring it back. You left Houston and, you know, it's been it's been quiet for some time. Hopefully they're trying to bring it back with the new uh, new reinforcement. So what 
GM hat on, what are you, would you do to like fix? I don't want to say fix because that's a little bit harsh, but bring Houston back into the limelight, bring Chicago back into the limelight. I don't know. I think fix is a pretty fair word to say because like, <laughs> cause I think what it does is it just holds them to the standard that I think uh-huh. they want to get back to. And, it, you know, I, I feel okay saying it because I still love those clubs and um, I'm definitely like pulling for them. And like you said, I really like the direction that both of them have made as far as the, um, the changes that they've made in the front office and, um, and even in ownership, which I think is, is going to be huge. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I would love to say like, you know, you know, that it was like I left the team and it all crumbled, which is far from the truth. Um, but I, I think the, the real issue is like, it's difficult. I think it's difficult to have that success, um, over time. And like, I think you've seen that across, especially a lot of the earlier teams that mm-hmm. came through. Um, only until recently did we see New England kind of find their way back. Um, DC has had struggles compared to what their standard was at the beginning. LA even has gone through some lean times, which is like unthinkable really from the MLS that I knew where, you know, I was like, they just beat everybody in finals. Um, and the idea that they wouldn't make the playoffs is crazy. Um, so I feel okay about rubbing that one in, but, uh, (laughs) I think like for, for, um, for Chicago, I, it felt like some of the, they lost their way a little bit with holding on to the right guys and, and kind of like what had worked amongst the team. Um, I felt like some of the choices like 20 around 2010, Dennis Hamlet left and it was like a number of changes started happening and it started being like Justin Mapp, Chris Rolf, Gonzalez Cigaris, a bunch of guys start going and you start looking around the locker room and you're like, Oh, uh, <laughs> I think I might need to go yeah. too. Um, so I think you just, <laughs> it can kind of like just slip away very easily. And I think for Houston, Dom Kinnear had such a big, um, impact on that, on that club and just like what he was able to do as far as building the team. And like, I mentioned that I knew him since I was young, but he was successful in San Jose. Um, like I, when I came to the team, he knew me since I was a kid, but I still heard that he was like, calling John Conway who was in my locker room on the team to ask me how I was training at the time and like what my mentality was like and so like for a guy that he knew super well he was still like doing his research to figure out exactly like what type of guy I was like this week Um, and so I think like that that relationship also and that trust and just being around good guys in those Houston locker rooms like Brian Ching called me before I you know even got to Houston just like the captain calling and being like someone of Brian's stature to be like, Hey, if you need a place to, yeah, well, I don't think he offered me a place to stay, but I think he was like, you can stay in the hotel, but if you need some help finding a place, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I'll help you out. Um, But all those guys, you know, Bobby Boswell, just all these guys um, uh, that were just like really great guys in the, in the locker room. And, you know, in MLS, the margins are small. Um, And Mm -hmm. so I think like, we were able to win a lot of games, especially when it came down to the playoffs, partly due to those like small margins and those little differences between our group. Um, and I think if you lose sight of that, um, that can be a struggle. I even look at like Cincinnati now and like, I know they just won three games in a row and I want to like go crazy with that. But like, I look at that coaching staff and Dom's on there and Noonan and some of those guys. And I'm like, 
it just makes sense to me that they would like kind of start to figure it out and like simplify yeah. things and build some structure and some continuity around it. And like still takes time to find those pieces, but um, I, I don't think it can be understated to like figure out how to like kind of create a culture or like a, a locker room. No, I'm so glad you said that because I, you know, it's easy to say it from here, but like this formula is really easy. It's been proven. Uh, obviously, people are trying to change it, but like the formula is right here. And yeah. you see the teams that are successful and they're doing it the right way. So why not keep it like that? Look um, at Seattle, your career, right? Exactly. Like, like Seattle has all the talent. They have the DPs. They have like the 16 year old uh, Vargas comes in in the CCL final I was at last week. And like, you know, they're, they're doing the youth development thing. But I think the thing that like really separates them is that kind of like that that mixture of guys and how they're able to kind of like stick together and, and really kind of compete right. with each other. So because that's like what comes it comes down to in like the finals or as you go through tournaments and stuff. Not exactly. So, you know, you do a lot of stuff with MLS and, you know, different organizations um, from a mentorship side as well. Can you talk about your career from the standpoint of like overcoming injuries and like the mental fortitude that you needed uh, to continue to play? Because it wasn't it's not something to be taken lightly. Yeah, no, I think, you know, going back to your first question on like just like loving the game, um, like I feel like if you don't like really love the game. And it's just a job. I know some guys can kind of like fight through that. But for me personally, like if I didn't love it, I would have like quit a bunch of times. Um, not just like from, like, <laughs> you know, showing up at college coaches doorsteps that those were like easy disappointments, like, um, like going through like two ACL surgeries and like a four and a half month concussion and um, then like clean up some of my knees or like tearing my ACL and MLS cup, like all these kind of like big blows um that are tough to take and like if you don't really love what you're doing uh, I would also add I wasn't like getting paid a billion dollars or anything like that so like it really wasn't about the check I mean um I feel like this two cents podcast name is like uh <laughs> like what some of the MLS salaries started at a long time ago <laughs> so it's like it's just like, I, I think for me, like coming through some of that um, goes back to just like those early days for me of like loving the game. And then also I felt lucky in a way when I got to MLS because I had been through some disappointments and I had like been through some adversity. And so it wasn't like a, like a huge shock to me when I would get dropped or when I would, um, I think I learned how to handle it better. I learned how to like advocate for myself or like kind of like defend myself on the pitch or stand up for um, like, you know, what I felt I deserved. But, um, but yeah, the disappointment part is like, um, and the injuries, especially like, just as I was able to kind of get going, it felt like a lot of times I would like mm -hmm. face some big injury and then it was like, you got to climb all the way back. So I felt a lot of my time was kind of felt like, like I was like trying to get back and then enjoying but i like really appreciated those times especially like late on in houston like to have the best time of your career near the end is very rare like i look at i look at guys um who still like find success late on in mls and i'm like they know like they're like appreciating it you know and no. like i so i feel like for me to feel on like you know there's this like i feel like there's this point where your, your physical abilities maybe diminish a little bit and your mental abilities like kind of begin to match it and you, you can kind yeah. of hover for a little while. 
Um, and that's like a really nice, sweet spot to be at. And I felt like in Houston, that was kind of like what I found um, for myself. No, most definitely. Um, obviously, um, condolences for the injuries that you had to deal with, but you definitely bounced back. And, you know, not to say that the workers' comp is, is uh, equal, <laughs> but, you know, hopefully you got compensated. Well, I got to I gotta ask you because, like, you, you're – but what what about you, Moby? Like finding like as time has gone on, like did you feel like you appreciated it more, or like um, or that that like love was still there, or like how did you kind of maintain that or nurture that? No, that's a great point. I think because like when you come into the league, you're like yo, you don't even think about like the politics at hand, like the fact that it's a job. You're just like yeah, you get to play soccer with your boys and compete. And then, like, there's a certain period where it's, like, you get into that stage where it's, like, all right, no, I need to get paid and compensated for my worth. I need, like, everything starts to get into that business aspect. And I think there's, like, an inflection point where you're just, like, F it. Like, yo, I'm playing soccer. I'm getting paid. And I'm at the ability where my physical, like you said, matches and hovers around my mental, where the game's, like, slower for you. You know, like off season, you're not rushing to do whatever the trainer gives you because you know you have your like your own rhythm, and then like that's the perfect, that's the perfect spot to be in your career where you. It's not like I'm not saying you don't give it, you don't give a crap about what, it, but you're like, you're free in how you go about and operate um, from a professional standpoint. And I was yeah. fortunate enough to you know go through that stage or have that stage because a lot of times people don't get to that point where because they're either like so dialed in and it affects them or they're just so by the time they even realize what it is, they're already out the league. So I think you brought up a great point. And um, yeah, I would say those are like the three stages of how, at least from my standpoint, soccer kind of goes. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh, oh. Yeah, that's a good question. Oh. I, I thought we were supposed to give you the answer, but that was a good one. You put it back on <laughs> me with that one. <laughs> Caught me off guard with it. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, you've had a, you had a long career. What were some of your favorite memories, you know, as a player? You know, for the some of the historic teams that you played on, some great cities. You know, a lot of a lot of good moments in your career. Yeah, I mean, I will. The only trophy that I won was my rookie year in in Chicago. Um, and, you know, it's funny because, like, they tell you to appreciate it and you're yeah. like, because you don't know if you're going to get it again. And, like, um, <laughs> so I think winning the Open Cup my rookie year was was big. I think also, like, um, I scored, like, four or five goals in the tournament and that was, like, my first chance to um, really, like, uh, kind of claim my place or prove that I could play. To go back to it, though, I, I did score, t- I, to take issue, I did score two goals against DC again in the semifinal, and I didn't play in the, fi- in the Open Cup final. So it's like, that's crazy. anyways, it's a whole other yeah. thing. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, I feel your pain on that one. Yeah. <laughs> that happened to me. I, was, I scored in the semis, and then, yeah. Really? That's, that's crazy. Dang, man. All right, we're in this together. That make, I mean, yeah. I, I feel bad y'all won for it. you, but that makes me feel At least y'all yeah. won it. We lost it. So oh, Philly shoot. has a curse until they you know, amend, yeah. make the make amendments. That's right. Yeah. Send, send a Moby that <laughs> open cup bonus check when it comes in. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, so that was big. I think for me, like um, all the playoff runs with uh, Houston going to finals, um, the last one I kind of mentioned, but it was like a, a 
like a real roller coaster of a of a match for me from um going from scoring a goal just before halftime and this was like we had lost the year before in 2011 to the galaxy we lost one nil landon scored a nice goal in the second half um and we didn't really feel like we played very well i don't think la played very well um either but they just like had the uh, you know found the moment and that that uh landon of course is known to do that mm-hmm. um and the next year, I just remember coming in and feeling like we were just, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Like, I knew how bad it was to lose to this team in the same stadium like a year before. <laughs> so yeah. I think it kind of like we didn't do any of the um, like before there was like parties and like ownership dinners and stuff like that. I think like it was funny. I think like Oscar De La Hoya was a, a minority owner at the time and um he like asked to come speak to the locker room before the game. And we were like, nah, we're good. <laughs> we had, like, we're like, we've never met you. Like, so it's just get like, out of here, get out of here with that. Yeah. but that was like the personality of our team. You know, like we just had that kind of uh, personality and we're going against the galaxy, which had like Landon and Robbie Keane was Beckham's last game. And, um, and I just like, remember going to driving to the stadium and feeling like, what's like, just, you know, this is what you work for your whole life how often do you get a, like a second crack at this? Um, and, uh, we played really well. I scored just before halftime. Adam Moffitt played me like a really nice ball in behind and, uh, I was able to put it away and like the whole crowd went quiet and we were winning one, nothing at halftime. And I was like, it was Beckham's last game again. So I was like, Oh man, like we might really flip the script. Um, and then like second half, <laughs> uh, I t- actually went into a cha- challenge with Omar um, Gonzalez and like, I actually tried to foul him in a way. I was like going in behind and it was ill-timed and I just like extended and got caught in the ground at the wrong time and tore my ACL. So it was like, and within 10 minutes, they scored two goals. Um, so I was like still on the sideline trying to figure out what had just happened. And it was just like goal, goal. And then they scored yeah. a third. Um, so it was like a mixture of like, I say a lot of people have like highs and lows in a career. Like I feel like mine happened in the span of like an hour. (laughs) Uh, But um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, that was kind of what I think that's the real story of like being a pro is like, it's not just highs. (laughs) It's not just lows. Like it's it's kind of all of that. Um, And for me, it was kind of encapsulating that game. But I think like, you know, I've taken away so much from my career and as far as like friendships or memories and like, um, you know, just really amazing experiences. Cause like I said, I wasn't really necessarily expecting to get that far. Um, yeah, I think all of us wish, you know, wish I would have signed in Europe or I wish I would have, um, I, you know, you get close to it. You see friends who play in a world cup, but I think over time you just learn to kind of like really feel grateful for the experiences and the success that you had. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. No, that's facts on that. I think that's really important, you know, there's only so many people that can make it go make it pro and to play at an elite level three finals. Yeah. Um, it really puts it all into perspective. Uh, what advice would you have, you know, for individuals looking to go pro, you know, you've, you've been through it. I I would say like MLS 2.0, I think we're like in MLS 3.5 now. Um, (laughs) what would, what, what advice would you have, you know, for young individuals, especially those of color, you know, looking to go pro? Well, it's cool. I mean, as far as that goes, like, I feel like there's so many more um, examples now. Um, whereas, like, I know you guys just had Kobe on, and I remember, like, I wore number 13 my whole career because I are, like, leading up to the pros. 
um, cause Kobe Jones was like my hero. Um, when I got to the pros, I like, couldn't get 13. So I was like, I switched to number three, <laughs> which was like, uh, or my, my, I know, which was weird. Right. I'm supposed to be, so I was like, just silently like begging for someone to convert me to an outside back and extend my career, I think already. But, um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think that piece is important. And like, you know, just from being around and how much the league has changed since I've left, even, I feel like there's always been like, um, you know, huge um, impact as far as from like the black and Latino um, community. Sometimes those cross over in MLS. Um, and I think like that's always been really important. But I, you know, just seeing you know, a, and being a part of um, like, you know, doing some documenting around B, what BPC has done and like the way the guys have organized um, as of late has been incredible. Um, so I think that alone mm-hmm. is like going to take things and push things forward. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's good. Like that just, I think there's been a cultural shift too, as far as just playing young players. Um, and so like those stories of being like, Oh, I felt like I could have got more. I mean, those are like, you know, always stories (laughs) and always going to be stories for people, but, um, and sometimes they're fair. Um, uh, not in our cases, of course, but, um, I think like (laughs) for the young guys, like they're getting their opportunities now. And I think MLS is understanding that like, like beyond just like, sometimes these players being ready and deserving it, like there's a financial component to it um, as far as being able to sell these guys abroad and then um, see them go on and having incredible careers abroad. And we're seeing that with the national team now too. And even some domestic guys that like Jesus Ferreira and stuff that are deciding to stay and doing awesome too. So um, yeah, yeah, it's cool to see kind of how those things are all shifting. No, it's great. I I love how you put it to perspective. Like, Obviously, you know, there's a, a bigger incentive to play younger guys, but, you know, even back then, you know, younger guys were playing. Um, not to say that everyone had a fair shake, but um, to see more guys get fair shakes now, it, it really is good to see. And like you said, we don't want to be bitter about it, but definitely <laughs> have to acknowledge it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, for <laughs> so for you, um, obviously, you end up um, stepping away from the game. How did that transition, you know, into the media space work? Was it something you always wanted to do? Yeah, it, I was always interested in it. Um, like, even from when I was young, like, I, I like, wrote for our, uh, my, like, high school newspaper. Um, I went to Berkeley, and I knew, like, right away I wanted to major in media studies. So I did that. Um, and then, like, I was always just a really willing participant when I was playing um, to do interviews. Um, even I remember like playing in Champions League games. I was telling a story to somebody at the Champions League final of like um, playing in Panama, in Panama City, and some of the um, Spanish speaking guys on the team didn't want to do interviews. And yeah. our like club PR guy in Houston was like, was like, hey, can like anybody, Kalen, like, would you mind, like, you speak a little bit of Spanish, would you mind doing this like Panama TV um, uh, like hit? And I was like, yeah, I don't know anybody in Panama. Like, nobody's going to see this, so I might as well give it a try. <laughs> um, and so, like, you know, I was just always really open to it. And then that last year when I um, did my knee in the final, um, actually, Sebastian Salazar, who's now at ESPN, he um, was the reporter for the team for CSN Houston at the time. And so he started inviting me on their, like, studio programming, or I would, like, shadow him in the office. Um, then I started actually doing like sideline hits before our games and it was kind of awkward cause I was rehabbing 
and like in the film session. So it was like, it actually really helped <laughs> to be able to like be brand new and know exactly <laughs> like what the tactics were and the matchups that uh, we were looking to exploit. So I had to kind of like play it a little bit close to the vest at times. And, um, but that was like the first time that I got a little bit of a peek to say like, oh, I think I really like this. Like, I really like the pressure of like, you know, and even for just mentally um, rehabbing is grueling. So like just feeling like I had a purpose on game day and like putting on a suit and tie and going to the match and like being a part of that broadcast was really fun. Um, so I, I, but after that, I like moved back to the Bay area. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. I started a couple, like I was trying everything. I started a couple creative projects. I got back to writing. I started a fashion soccer clothing project called future collective um with a couple friends like you still got that i by was the way? it's it's on hiatus right now i would say um that's, yeah that was fire by the way thank you yeah warren craval um he was one of our original models and then he just he got too expensive so we had to shut the business down so it was, <laughs> it was tough uh, um shut now he's, he's 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 he, he picked up the baton he'd been doing it before but um he's been running with it i loved his episode by the way on on two cents check that out if you're listening after this one but um shout out but yeah it was a uh, supporter hey man got a rep he sometimes sends me a free t-shirt so i gotta keep my uh keep my keep in good graces um but uh yeah i was trying to figure it out and then um actually i was really lucky because uh this guy michael milberger who was working at mls um at the time and was like leading their video team um, just sent me a, uh, a message on Twitter and was like, Hey, I saw you wrote an article for Howler magazine. Um, cause I just started like writing some stuff and sending it in and they were cool with putting a couple articles up. And, um, he was like, would you ever want to try doing some on camera work? Which like, meanwhile, I was like desperately trying to find <laughs> and couldn't find yeah. any. Um, and, but I like played it cool and was like, yeah, they like, I'll, you know, be interested. I'll be open to that. And, um, like the first, hit I did was um with Mehdi Bellucci who I'd known super well and was like scoring goals for NYCFC so that was really comfortable and then the next one was at the Steve Nash showdown and I had like just been at like Stu Holden's like bachelor party with like him and Nash and Jada Merritt and all these guys so it was like they were all playing so it was very easy to kind of just like talk to them so I had like a very soft landing into kind of you know the media side of things from MLS and then decided to move there full time and then uh, kind of like began to develop some different shows and really kind of like explore some different terrain and kind of kept it running from there. Love that. I feel like obviously people knew about you, but I feel like you really broke onto the scene with the movement. So can you talk about how that came about and uh, kind of the creative concept and direction of, you know, bringing that to life, you know? Yeah, it was, it was, um, well, thank you. Um, but yeah, it was like one of those things where Rachel Benetta had been at MLS and had a show there um, called Get Me In There, where she was like, like going in the supporters groups and hanging out with the fans and like having a having like basically partying with them and having a good time. And yeah. we were like, we can't do that because one, Rachel's amazing. And I could never imitate her <laughs> Two, like being in the crowd, real hardcore, like behind the supporters groups was not really my vibe. And so we were like, um, this guy, Michael Milberg, I mentioned was like, what, what would be interesting? Or like, how can we really kind of think about what would be interesting to you? And the thing for me, I think kind of going back to my backstory and how I grew up and um, where I grew up. And then of course, like you guys know, being in locker rooms is like 
the amount of people you meet um, and the different backstories that they have too that are incredibly interesting. So, you know, Brian Ching was, um, we went to Hawaii um, with him and was like, went to the North Shore, this little like town where he grew up on the North Shore and went surfing and was talking about like how surfing and soccer worked on his balance and how he was like the only Hawaiian ever to make a World Cup team on the men's side. Um, or like Marlon Harrison, who I know you guys had on, I went to Jackson with him and looked at how him and Marcus Epps and um, all these guys had come through Central Jackson and like Justin Mapp also was there and came into town. I was like, how is this like town that's not known for soccer, right? It's more like football, um, American football and basketball. Like, how are these guys coming up? And it was like, you end up finding that a lot of these guys were coached by Caribbean guys that had moved there. Um, yeah. Same thing with like Brampton, where I was like, how are all these guys coming out of Brampton? I kept hearing like Jonathan Osorio talking about it. I was like, Kyle Laren, like all these guys um, had come out of there. And I was like, and on the women's side too. And so I, we started kind of like exploring a lot of these different concepts. We went to, um, so I think that was like a really, it just really kind of came out of like an interest from being in the locker rooms and then trying to understand more of the backstory or like see if we could take people into them. And then it kind of evolved over time to talking maybe less about like individual stories and looking more at some issues um, that, and I think that was partly just based on like what was happening in the world at the time with like who was president and all the different things of just like the tenor of the country at the time. And so um, we went to places like um, we went to, I spent time with guys from LAFC during Ramadan. We went to the border at like RGV and um, we went to El Paso again. So we looked at some immigration issues. Uh, we did some stuff in uh, Minnesota with Colin Martin, looked at like LGBTQ um, issues as well. So it was like, it was, it became really uh, like a cool show that started to evolve in different ways. And so um, I feel like soccer is just like kind of natural terrain for those types of topics, just because of the, um, like the clientele that's a part of it and just how um, open and like global it is. So um, yeah, it, it was, it was an awesome, an awesome time. I definitely loved making that show. Oh, now you killed it with that. That was definitely inspirational for, for me, you know, as I'm transitioning to Sense FC into that creative content space. Um, the movement is definitely one of the shows that I like looked at and kind of try to see how things are structured and like pulling ideas from and stuff like that. So definitely going to tap in with you after the show. Cool. That's some great other stuff. Thank you. Yeah. Let's um, do but you mentioned this earlier, you were up in Seattle for the um, CCL final. What was the energy like around that? You know, like, you know, Seattle being the first MLS team in the, the modern, you know, CCL champions league era um, to win one. Like what was the energy like around that game? It was amazing. I, I just got it there on game day. So I took like a 7am flight from New York, but like the second I landed and, and that's the crazy thing about Seattle is like, even if, um, you know, it's just like a normal league game, like not every MLS city you walk around on game day and you know, it's a match like Seattle, you always know it's a match. Um, and, but this definitely had like a little bit of a, a different energy. I just think cause of the stakes involved. And then Pumas also brought up like a pretty um, legit crowd to, to the match too. So it added like this whole different dynamic to it. It was all like really friendly and cool. People were showing love to each other, but it was, um, yeah, it was cool. And I, I just like, you could feel the opportunity as well, just as far as feeling like, not like 
always so nervous in the sense that this team had the quality um, to win and like really kind of get over that hump. Um, the first half made me nervous watching it just in the crowd because <laughs> I was like, oh, Nuhu goes down and then it was Chao Paulo goes down and like Pumas was playing well and had a lot of the ball. And and then that goal happened right before halftime and like the stadium just erupted. But like it was just, uh, yeah, I mean, there's no roof on the stadium, but it felt like the place like erupted and like the top blew off. Um, and then it was, I just love any final when, somebody scores like an insurance goal. Like there's just nothing yeah. better than that in a final. Like I always think back to like 1998 and I think it was Emmanuel Petit scores like the breakaway or it's like a left back, just like trying to get forward to get, to get his and like gets on the score sheet. Uh, and I just like, so yeah, it was, it was like a really incredible atmosphere and like it, it feels fitting in a way that it was Seattle. Uh, I have some friends that played for Brian Schmetzer before they went into MLS and you know, just even talking to them about what he was like as a manager and then seeing what he's done um, with this team. I mentioned kind of like kind of my perspective on coaching um, before, but I just he seems like the type of coach I would want to play for. And you just see how the team responds. So, um, yeah. And then it's cool just to think like they're going to have a Jimi Hendrix jersey rocking at the Club World Cup. Like that's uh, that's progress. So I'm, I'm that'll be fun to watch. Yeah, for sure. That's fire. Definitely. It was dope to see that. And and it was just fitting that it was Seattle. You know, like it just made all yeah. the sense in the world that it would be Seattle. Like they've proven time and time again that they're the, you know, like the marquee club in terms of like doing it right, you know, from the youth all the way up. So definitely, you know, congratulations to them. Um, so as you kind of transition into media, you know, you've done the movement. So you've been traveling around for that. Um, also doing, you know, sideline commentating and stuff like that. So what are some of the wildest stories or what's like one crazy story that you could share um, from your media days? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, I would say at MLS Cup in 2018, there was, um, it was Atlanta hosting against Portland and I was on the Jumbotron before game and halftime with, um, Susanna Collins, who I work with at MLS. And it's, you know, it's that 360 video board. Um, so it's like, you know, kind of crazy to be up there. And the stadium is so loud that it's like really hard to hear. And we had this like audio uh, equipment as well, where you're like supposed to be able to hear yourself. I get out there at halftime and like, I can't hear a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I can, I can't even really hear. I'm supposed to get Susanna's volume through my like uh, earpiece to be able to talk to her. And like, that was out. So I start just trying to like inch closer <laughs> to hers just so I can hear what she has to say. Um, so I like kind of went through that whole thing um, just without being able to hear anything. Um, so that was kind of crazy. That's the first one that pops up. But I think also just more than anything, like just after playing in MLS for a while and not always being in environments like that, like when I go to Seattle or when I go to Atlanta and I see kind of what's happening in, from like the uh, the support side of things or you go to like LAFC or you go to some of these newer clubs and you see how crazy packed it is. I haven't been to Nashville yet. Um, I'd like to check that out or um, Cincinnati. I haven't been since their new stadium, but just like sometimes I, I do kind of like trip out a little bit because um, it's just cool to still be involved and like to see, to still be a part of the game growing. Um, and I think to like bring your own, just to be involved is cool. I think to bring your own unique perspective or to get to do more storytelling stuff is more what I'm drawn to, but um, just being around the atmosphere and then also seeing 
seeing uh, the growth of the game here has been definitely pretty incredible to see. Especially, um, well, that's a good transition actually into um, a new podcast that you have, 94 to Infinity. So can you tell us about that, like how it came about, with what it's about? Yeah, um, I it came about because, um, so like once COVID hit, the movement show, like doing a travel documentary soccer show is going to be very difficult. Um, <laughs> so we, we've immediately flipped that into a podcast and I was at my girlfriend's parents' house at the time in Atlanta. And that's when, um, like actually Ray Gaddis hit me up at first and was like, Hey, I'm in Indianapolis. I've been going to these protests. Um, like, can you, do you want to do like a movement episode or like, can, how do we get this story out there? And, and I was like, you know, I've gotten to know Ray for a while. I mean, playing against him, Moby, I know you, you guys were teammates and just like, yeah. he's just somebody that I have a ton of respect for. And, um, and like, regardless if any players ever hit me up, I always want to support, but I think especially Ray, um, but I couldn't get to Indianapolis. So I was like, maybe we could do an audio interview and, then I started talking to Warren and then Jeremy Abobasi and Ike Opara and a bunch of guys that were having similar experiences. Um, and that this was like kind of as BPC seemed to be forming. Um, so then the bubble happened. So we started tracking that story. So we ended up like releasing a movement podcast version of that. And we did only two episodes. Um, and then I moved to freelance from MLS um, and I was like, really kind of like craving, like searching for like, what's going to be my creative outlet. And I think for a while I was like, hoping that someone was just going to kind of like, be like, Hey, I, I like what you do. Like, come over here and do something like that. And it just kind of goes back to like the same things that I found as a player. Like when I was, um, you know, coming up, as I was mentioning, it's just like, it doesn't always work like that. <laughs> so sure. like. I did, I got to do, I did a piece for Vice News Tonight that was on TV. Um, that was cool on like, um, it was the first, uh, or one of the only Native American tribes in the US that was taking part in the COVID vaccine trials. And so I like researched and reported that and went up to Washington to do that. So I was like getting to do some things outside of soccer, which was like really cool to kind of stretch into, but I also still miss doing soccer stories. And so I, got on the phone with two of my old collaborators, Michael Milberger, I keep mentioning, um, executive produced the movement at MLS. And then this guy, Nick Fershaw, who's like an excellent writer and um, longtime like MLS um, personality and um, great audio engineer. And so we were like, why don't we just like make something together? So we, we kind of started there and then we're like, what do we want to talk about? And I think the biggest story that we wanted to tackle first off was the Qatar World Cup. Um, just it being a World Cup year and like a very unusual one with it being one in Qatar with the way that that process went um, <laughs> with them basically buying the World Cup and then all the like scandalous stuff as far as their like treatment of migrant workers and the deaths that have happened there. So um, heavier topic for sure. But um, I think by now we tend to like to go towards those. Um, and I think a big story that people were just um, people have been talking about for a long time, but I think was like coming into consciousness more because it was a World Cup year and the U.S. was getting set to qualify. So we titled the first episode, How to Watch the World Cup in Qatar Without Completely Hating Yourself, um, which was actually like uh, a text message that we were like sending back and forth to each other, just like actually trying to figure it out. I don't think we actually answered the question, even though that's the title of the podcast. 
um, we ended up, uh, I interviewed Zito Madu, who's like incredible writer, former player. Um, I'm sure you guys have, have uh, probably crossed paths with at some point, or if not, you guys should have him on the show. Um, but uh, yeah, we didn't really answer the question, but we wrestled with it. And I think like, that's the, that's kind of like, I guess the big takeaway for me from it was like, that is um, something we should wrestle with. We shouldn't pretend like it's not happening and like, you can still be excited. I'm hyped for the world cup, but like, especially with this team and the talent that we have. So it's like, it's a little bit of both for me, but um, yeah, now I guess the task is to try and figure out what, uh, what episode two is going to be next. Yeah. I was just about to ask like, when's the next one dropping? Cause the first one was dope. Yeah. Well, we took it, we took like a challenging approach to it as far as like, um, we did, we like brought in some different audio elements and news clips and we did some, a bunch of research and, um, a lot of editing. So it's a little bit of a different kind of podcast, so it won't be all the time, but I think we're trying to release them like every month or so every month or two. It's been a little while since episode one, but, um, <laughs> uh, we're, uh, we've got a concept for episode two that we're still fleshing out, but I think it's probably going to still be looking at the world cup and maybe more related around like um, like fan culture specifically as it relates to like the U S and Mexico and like what it might be, how these two cultures are kind of like, come, like either blending or having to kind of like reflect on, um, themselves and also, um, still interested in like, how do you be a fan of this world cup? Um, and what does that look mm -hmm. like? Another, um, move that you've made recently, um, you've joined up with for soccer venture, I believe you're working with black star, right? Yep. Um, so tell us about, you know, what your role there and what you'll be doing with them. Yeah. So, um, I got, uh, yeah, I, I've actually been hearing about them for a long time. And like a lot of the, I know a lot of people who had worked there and, um, kind of like, I feel like they've been making some noise for a little while now. And actually, um, I know Amobi's involved and Warren Cravaz, who I brought up before was involved before. Um, and the opportunity kind of came up to begin to work with them. And so I joined as um, like a creative lead there and helping kind of across the different things that they do. So there's like Black Star Program, which is looking at growing the game in Black communities. There's Alianza, which is in um, like, it's one of the biggest tournaments in, um, in the, it used to be just in the West Coast predominantly, but now it's all over the U.S. and it's looking at like, I mean, they've been really famous and successful at getting players that are from like Latin communities um, who are maybe not being scouted traditionally and kind of giving them opportunities at first, I think, with a lot with, with like Mexican teams. And um, now I know all the MLS teams are scouting them as well. So there's definitely that like on-field component, but then also we're developing some cool concepts like FootyCon, which is a going to be like a Comic-Con or um, like for footy, but it's like a soccer mm -hmm. culture festival. So that's something that I just think is like, you know, hits a lot of the things that I'm interested in so far um, in my career, but it's in a definitely a very different format. So I think that part is challenging for me and interesting um, and exciting. So um, yeah, I'm really enjoying it so far. Dope, dope. Yeah, excited to see uh, what happens with FootyCon. I know it was virtual last year. So hopefully we can get some in-person stuff. And yeah, yeah, that's the plan. Tell your people to make sure, you know, two cents is on the list somewhere, oh, somehow, of some way. Of course. <laughs> um, are there any other endeavors that you're working on? Any like entrepreneurial work or any anything that's, you know, hasn't been surfaced <laughs> just yet, but still cooking up? No, 
that's it. I got my my hands are full right now. Like just <laughs> uh, just kind of taking on these new challenges. I mean, I'm um, I think the ones that I'm working on are like really creatively fulfilling for me. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think one thing that I like learned from the past couple of years is like just I don't know not to take things for granted so I try to come back here and be around family as much as I can and reconnect with old friends like I was yesterday I went to a um, um, an old friend this guy um, Yasko his artist name is Sko Habibi I'm wearing a shirt actually right here and okay. he was like he was an artist in residence for the Oakland Roots and um, he just opened I used to play pickup soccer with him in Berkeley um, when I was a kid and he was a little bit older but would always like meg me um, and he's like gone on to be this like incredible, not just like creative player on the pitch, but like his art is amazing. And he just opened up a gallery studio space. So I was like over there yesterday checking out his stuff. And like, I'm just always find myself in interesting conversations with people. We were like, like topic yesterday was more around like youth development and how like we've, kids don't dribble anymore. I feel like we've gotten so much into this idea Robots. of like, passing and rondos and like trying to replicate that which is like great and amazing but also it's like i don't know i remember i remember seeing like Gio reina make that run against uh mexico and you're like oh what was that you know and i i we were talking about seeing like how often do you see those types of players come out anymore and like a part of that is because like i don't know if kids are really taught to dribble or like allowed to dribble all the time so um Anyways, this is like a total tangent, but like, Mm -hmm. I like to find ways and hang out with people that are kind of like right at that middle of like, you know, on the field, off the field and like kind of looking at things from different perspectives. So definitely helps keep the brain fresh. Yeah. Keep dribbling, right? Yeah. Facts. That's a (laughs) t-shirt. All right. So let's jump into some rapid fire questions, just some little fun questions that we like to run across people. Um, what is one interesting fact about yourself that most people wouldn't know? Oh, man, I think I already gave everything away. <laughs> <laughs> I've got nothing left. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess, well, I think I gave it away. I took that ballet class. That was like, uh, yeah, not a lot of people would know that. Um, and uh, yeah, I only went to like, one or two classes and I was like not happy about it because <laughs> I was like I think I was embarrassed because I was like the only boy in the class uh but um I don't know I appreciate also that my mom would like push me into different things and see if I like it so um yeah that would be it for today <laughs> okay okay so what's on your pre-match playlist Ooh, well men's league right now it's like <laughs> You know, I can't get too hyped for men's league. You 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 don't want to go into that thing too hot because you end up like getting injured, yeah. <laughs> um, and I've had enough of that. Um, I think like as I was playing, I don't know. I was like, so I played in Chicago in you know oh five oh six to twenty eleven. So that was like all Kanye. All, like it was everywhere you went. Yeah. Like in the streets. I was watching the documentary of his recently, and I just was like reflecting on living there at sort of a, an amazing time where like he had just, it was like his second album. 
Um, and he just like, I think it was grad, was it late registration or graduation? Late registration. Yeah. Yeah. Late registration. Yeah. Yeah. So like that was everywhere from like, you know, if you had a night out, if you were just on the street everywhere. And then also it was the same time that, um, Obama got elected. So I was there in 08 when he, um, and I went like, I was on crutches. I remember, um, and I went to Grant Park to see his speech that night with Dason Robinson, who was a teammate of mine there. Um, so like it was just a historic time. So I'd say Kanye was like everything in that um, like pregame side of things in Chicago, and then and you know a little Lupe and um, some other like artists there. And then Houston, I think I was all on like at that time it was like all Watch the Throne, um, and then also uh, I remember driving a lot to. Um, some Frank Ocean, like the, like early, like, I think it was like that mixtape. Um, nostalgia. Was it like Nostalgia um, Ultra? Ultra. Yeah. 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 yeah dope. So, so like, so your, your pregame vibe is, seems like to be a little bit more chill than just calm. Yeah. Than most people. Yeah. Like even in like the huddle, like when guys would be like, you know, coming in, getting real hyped, I'd be kind of like on the outside, just like <laughs> kind of looking up at the crowd. Like I didn't want to go, um i couldn't go all the way in as far as um, getting too excited because i found like i would just like i would lose my energy or it just it, you you figure out what's your like your best energy going into a game and um you know i was ready to compete for sure but i i was not trying to like i'm too skinny i didn't i didn't have the muscle to back it up <laughs> if i was like gonna really get uh get too crazy <laughs> all right um so you work like crazy, you know, definitely busy times. Uh, what's your favorite off work activity? Uh, I think coming back here to Berkeley and just like reconnecting with friends um, and family, hanging out with my mom, we're still super tight. Um, in Brooklyn, like just kind of like walking to the park. I live, um, I live near like sort of in between Fort Greene Park and Prospect Park. So there's some really nice parks there and uh, my girlfriend and I just kind of like enjoy just kind of taking in everything that New York has to offer. And, um, you know, it, there's so much, there's so much like interesting culture happening in New York that you can just kind of like stumble into it where you just end up like having a conversation with someone at a restaurant and, you know, you end up just like learning something different or meeting somebody incredible, or you can walk into like a comedy show and, you know, um, like anybody could show up. You just never know. So, um, I saw Z-Way actually, uh, like before the pandemic and I was, uh, like, you know, she has blown up and gotten her show there, but just like, you just like, I didn't plan on going to see her or people like that. So, um, mm-hmm. there's just a lot of interesting things happening in New York and I wouldn't say I have like the backstage pass, uh, to all that. Cause that kind of disappears sometimes <laughs> when you stop playing, <laughs> but, um, but I, I try to find my way to like stumble into whatever I can. For sure, for sure. Um, so you've lived in a couple cities. Um, what's the first thing you do when you move to a new city outside of finding a place to live? Like, what's the, the first thing you got to do? Well, when I moved to Houston, I tried to take the bus, which was a mistake because um, nobody <laughs> like definitely... really takes the bus there. Everybody drives. <laughs> and I didn't have a car. Uh, right. So I took a bus to go look at an apartment and you know, the blocks there are like, it's like a hundred degrees. Right. So I was like sweating immediately. Um, I didn't find the apartment. And then like even the ATM, I needed to get some cash. 
um, to try and get a cab or something like that. Cause this was like 2011, 2012. And, uh, there was just like, I was waiting behind a car in line to get an ATM. So I had like a pretty bad start when I got to Houston. Um, <laughs> I ended up finding like, uh, like a good scene in Midtown in Montrose where you can like, there's good restaurants and things like that. But I would say like, I always try and find a cafe, um, just like a good place to go that you can, um, that my spot in Houston was this place called Brazil Cafe. And um, yeah, maybe it was my love for Brazil, but it like, it reminded me of Berkeley in a way because it, it was like an old wooden kind of place with, um, yeah, they would have like, I don't know, it was very like Berkeley vibes. I don't know how else to describe it, but um, yeah, that was kind of my spot in Houston. And, you know, now in Brooklyn, there's like too many coffee shops, but you really only need one or two. Mm-hmm. And I only go to like one or two in Brooklyn anyways. Yeah, for sure. Once you find that one spot, you got to commit. Yeah. Um, so what's your favorite away city? We talked about, you know, moving to new cities, but like as you're playing, you, you visit different cities. What's the favorite away city? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say, I might say Toronto. Uh, yeah, I've had a really good time every time I've gone to Toronto and like, um, I've been a bunch like to cover games now, some really cold ones, but like summertime, it's, it's like really nice. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you have some people there that can kind of show you around, it's like, it reminds me of Chicago in a little bit. Um, but maybe mm-hmm. even more like international as far as like the, uh, the like culture and energy of the city. So if I had to pick right now, I would, I'd probably give it up to Toronto. Yeah, Toronto's always uh, high on the list when we ask that question. <laughs> Are you going to ask me the worst the next? I got to be careful. Okay. No, 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 no. Toronto definitely um, top three. Chicago's nah, so, up there as well. Yeah. So one of the things we like to do um, is, especially with the regions, we got these region wars kind of going on. You know, DMV, SoCal, you know, LA. Um, we always, we always like to ask who's on your five aside. So who's on your Bay Area slash? I'll, I'll give you NorCal. Who's on your NorCal five aside? Oh wow. Okay. So I gotta stick. I gotta stick to the Bay. That's cool. I can do that. Um, I gotta take Wando for sure. Um, I need Steph Fry and Goal because, I mean, you see it. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go with. Medi Bellucci for sure, because Medi was sick. Like he was insane. Yeah. Like especially if you're playing five aside and like any pickup, he was like, he was like Ronaldinho to me. <laughs> I was like yeah. like playing pickup in the Bay in the off seasons. It was um, so fun to play with him. So that's three. I got to pick myself. Like I know Wando's playing up top, so I ha- probably have to slide a little bit wi- wide. Maybe do some more of the defensive work, but I'm 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 good with that. Um, I got Medi as like my creator. I'm trying to build a real team here. Um, I got my goalkeeper. I need a defender. I need a back. So I think I'm. Ooh. So is this? These are like from the Bay. They can't just like have yeah, like pass through Berkeley. Okay. Okay. Five one zero area all code. Right, all right. All right. Um. I mean, I'll give you the entire Bay. You can go from San Francisco, South Bay, okay. East Bay. Yeah. Um, I'll go with, um, I'll go with Steve Purdy. I don't, uh, he played. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. Show. I'll go with Purdy. He was, he was like, um, 
he could definitely ball. Um, and then I'm going to go with uh, – there's some good ones. Like Quin- I got Quincy, but I already have Stryker. Um, I need – well, you count Quincy as the Bay Area? He's not. He's not from uh, David. Nah, I thought he's from, he's like, from... Bakers- like Bakersfield. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. shoot. Okay. All right. Never mind. He's out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, wait. Hold up. <laughs> I feel like I. Yeah, I didn't know. I mean, he's younger, so I didn't know him till yeah. Davis. So I, I, I assumed that he was from somewhere around here. Um, and uh, and then I'm going to move a Moby. Come on, we got to do it. Do I count as? Yeah. Big? I'm counting sack before I'm counting all of the South Bay. Like I, I go up to sack a lot. I like I got okay. people there. So yeah. Respect. That's yeah. the first time a Moby made it into a five side. Yeah, Here no. We yeah. Well t- technically this is the first time we had someone from NorCal <laughs> to do <a> reach. <laughs> you gotta so, tap into oh. that network a little bit more. Yeah, scouts. But Moby, you gotta defend for all of us. You gotta defend for all of us though. That's not a problem, you know. Okay. Last line of defense. All y'all right. y'all will get the goals. All right, good. All right, and real quick before we jump into trending topics, um, you're eligible. So back when you were playing, you're eligible to play for a U.S. or Australia. Which national team would you pick? Oh, uh, well, I mean the U.S., but I feel like I, um, I regret not actually like trying to make more of a play to see if I could get like a look um, with Australia at some point now. They've also like qualified for every World Cup, um, I think. So it's like it's not easy to get in at the time. I think most of their guys were playing in Europe, and I think also the perception of MLS was maybe not where it is right now. But um, but uh, I mean, I would say either because <laughs> like playing for the U.S. would be an incredible <laughs> dream. Like, and any of these guys that I know that we all know that have played there, I've always been like you know just so uh, in awe of like what that would be like. But um, like I think based on my like cultural and um, history being Aboriginal Australian, like I feel like to kind of, to have had an opportunity to represent the national team there too, even though I didn't like come from there in the sense of like growing up there, I think that would have been a really cool um, opportunity. Cause like, I remember um, Kathy Freeman, this like Aboriginal sprinter that won the gold medal at the Olympics. Um, she was like a big inspiration for me when I was in, um, in high school and I actually met her randomly at the track in Berkeley one day when I was in college and she was just like working out at the track and we were training there. And I was like, I was like, wait, I can't, is the, I was like, I think that's her. So I went over and like, she, I told her I was Aboriginal, Aboriginal Australian and she was like freaked out in, in a weird, not in like a, like scared sense, but more just like trying mm-hmm. to compute what I was doing at like here and I don't have an accent and she was just yeah. very confused um, <laughs> but uh, she was really cool and I got to meet her so um, I think from that perspective that would have been really cool to uh, to represent Australia as well yeah for sure for sure um, all right so let's jump into t- trending topics this is a rapid fire game where um, I'll read off some news headlines and our guest Kaylin as well as the Moby will give their opinions on these headlines using the soccer card system um, so we got Two this week. Oh, let me run down the rules for those not familiar. Um, no card is uh, you agree with it, you're cool with it. Um, yellow card, you're indifferent. Red card is, you know, I disagree. And then you guys will give a short explanation of why you gave it. Um, you all right over there, Mo? Why, why you yeah, gave it the, why you gave it that card? <laughs> all 
All right. So we got two this week. Uh, let's jump right into it. So San Diego Wave are selling their kits at their match in limited quantities with the Wave FC name sets only. So no customization for $200. I don't know if they're authentic. I don't know if they're replicas, <laughs> but they're charging $200 at the game for their, their template jerseys. Um, so what card are we giving San Diego Wave for this pricing? Kelly, you want to take it away first? <laughs> okay, is this like um, is this like autographed by the whole team? Do I get to meet the whole team? No, no okay, none of that. No. It's just the jersey. It's just, just the jersey, and then it yeah. says it says SD Wave on the back, with number twenty two. <laughs> that's okay. it. Like you don't get I'm, any I, other customizations. That's a yellow. That's a yellow for me. Um, I, I'd give a yellow to just how much like boots cost in general, um, mm. and. Uh, but I also, I got to be careful here because my future collective clothing line, like the hats were like 70 bucks or something like that. So it's like, you know, people could come for me for this. So, uh, yeah, I'm down for the like limited exclusive whole thing. But um, at a certain point, I think you lose me a little bit. And um, so I'm going to have to go. I, I don't I'm not like a, it's offensive, but it's a yellow. I'm going to say it's a yellow card. And I like the wave. I like Alex Morgan. She's a Berkeley girl, so you got got to rep. What do you say, Amos? Yeah, respect. I, I'm going red card. I mean, <laughs> it's already it's got to pay to go to the game. You got to pay for right. the parking. You got to pay for the food. It's a whole experience. Obviously, um, yeah, you do want to support the team, but I'm not $200 for a jersey on top of $200 for cleats on top of $50 for shin guards on top of nah, that stuff adds up. So. Um, for me, uh, yeah. And, but like you said, it's a business. If there's going to be people that pay for it. So I just, me personally, I'm not paying for that. So red card. <laughs> As I'm those, wearing my anti club shirt. <laughs> for those who are initiated, yeah. you know that well, like the whole league is Nike. So you know that Nike jerseys, replicas are about 90, right? And then add a name set at most, they should be like 119. Right. For 200. And I doubt that they're going to be authentics. That's a little, that's, that's kind of reaching. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but I will throw them a bone. You know, Nike's having supply chain issues. So that could be another issue or another reason why they're so expensive is they only were able to get so many and they try to, you know, make a thing out of it. So either way, if I had to, if I had a vote, it would be a red card for me. Uh, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. All right, so let's move on to the next I'm not going one. first again next time, by the way. Cause it's not <laughs> All right, next one. Naomi Osaka has left IMG along with her agent, Stuart uh, Duguid, to open her own agency called Evolve. Who both will hold equity stakes in the firm and have um, they have not taken any outside investment. So what card are we giving Naomi for making this move? Uh, no card. I think it's a great move. I think it's a testament to how athlete empowerment is continuing to go. Um, I think, I mean, as an athlete, you already represent yourself. Um, so she might as well take it, um, take full control and kind of go from there. I think the biggest thing now is like, is her organization, her firm going to represent other athletes or is this strictly for her? Cause if so, then you don't really need to set up a agency. So interesting to see like if they get like who their clients are going to be and then kind of go from there. Yeah, I'll say, yeah, def definitely no card. Um, I think, does LeBron 
have a don't they have an agency component or or no yeah. or is that uh, they do LRMR but he's technically like he's not he's not allowed to say he's part of it so okay he got okay. clutch but he's okay. represented by clutch okay. got got it, got it. no ownership okay, okay. um yeah no I, I think it's cool and like Moby said like taking ownership and I mean she's she's an owner of NWSL team and so I just think like having that player perspective at the ownership level like I think you'll get a chance to see like what that can do for the league the growth of the league um as well as like a way that it can grow in a place that's also responsible um to players as well and looking at she's been like very vocal about that and um like in her own life but I think the idea that she could help uh, like support other athletes to do that um, with her platform would be really cool too so um, yeah she's making big moves yeah it'd be really interesting to see uh, what she does with it she already has an all-encompassing business so you look at it like um, like Katie and Rich Kleiman it's kind of a kind of one of those situations um, yeah. Rich was Katie's agent and they broke off started 35 Ventures boardroom and I could see her kind of taking that model um, she's actually you know been pretty closely aligned with them so probably that's probably where she got the idea from um but either way like I, I think it's definitely dope and i think we'll definitely see more um savvy athletes doing things like this in the future especially ones that that make the the amount of money to be able to like do investments and kind of take control of their own brand um so i think we'll definitely start seeing more of this in the in the, in the very near future actually so yeah most definitely um l you got anything else Nah, that was the last one. Okay. Well, Kaylin, thank you so much for taking the time. How can people support you? How can they get, you know, in touch with, you know, some of the wonderful things that you got in the works? Um, no, thanks for, for having me on, guys. Um, I love the show. Um, and, uh, yeah, if anybody wants to follow along, like, I would say 94 Till Infinity. You can listen to that first episode. Um, it's an independent project, so it's just under my own name but it's on all kind of places you would listen to um, podcasts. Um, and then, um, yeah, there's a Substack page for it as well that you can find on my Twitter account, which is just at Kalen Carr. Um, and uh, yeah, or I'm on Instagram as well. So just hit me up. Yeah, most definitely. Make sure you guys go and support Kalen. Got a lot of cool things in the works. 94 till infinity, future collected when that comes back. And <laughs> you know, to some other endeavors that he got in the works. As someone that has his hands on a lot of different things and making some great impact and providing a lot of value. Uh, I definitely will be reaching out, you know, trying to figure out this freelance contract type thing that you do. <laughs> I know Elle's going to be touching base with you. Likewise. Uh, but that's what What episode for, is this for you guys? What number is this? This is 79. Yeah, we push it. We push it. We push it. We push 79. It. Yeah. 79. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So oh. you guys need to teach me something because I made one. <laughs> I got. I got. Yeah, yours has a lot more that. production value than ours, though. Yeah. No, no, um, no. I appreciate you, you guys having me on, and I, I love the show and like um, all the all the people, all the guests you guys have on. I always feel like I learned something, so um, I appreciate uh, you guys including me in, in that appreciate list. Appreciate you checking us out. Respect. Yeah, but uh, that's our show for this week. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us get discovered. Follow us on the socials at Two Cents FC Show. Check out our merch at Two Cents Sport.shop and tweet us your comments on the show. Any topics you want me or L to discuss, trying to come at you guys with some heavy hitters. Uh, make sure you guys tune in and uh, thank you guys for the support. Peace out.